Yeah, let's try again. Good morning, church. <laughs> Please turn with me to Psalms 90. Psalms 90. Psalms 90. So what we've been doing in, in these uh, past two weeks and today, uh, these have been my, my prayer requests, uh, my prayer points for, for us as a church. And remember we started studying Jude and my prayer request for you as a church was that you would contend and stay put in the faith that was once for all delivered for the saints. And last week we looked at Psalm 139 and my prayer for you was that you grow in your knowledge of God and realize what an incredible privilege it is to be known by God. And so for time together this morning, I want us to look at Psalm 90. And my prayer request for you this morning is that you'd have a heart of wisdom and live for what is eternal. And so let's turn to that psalm and, and read it together. And then we'll find our preaching from this text, Psalm 90. Psalm 90, a prayer of Moses, the man of God. Lord, you have been our dwelling place in all generations. Before the mountains were brought forth, or ever you had formed the earth and the world from everlasting to everlasting, you are God. You return men to dust and say, Return, O children of men. For a thousand years in your sight are but as yesterday when it is past, or as a watch in the night. You sweep them away as with a flood. They're like a dream, like grass that is renewed in the morning. In the morning it flourishes and is renewed, and in the evening it fades and withers. For we are brought to an end by your anger. By your wrath, we are dismayed. You have set our iniquities before you, our secret sins in the light of your presence. For all our days pass away under your wrath. We bring our years to an end like a sight. The years of our life are 70, or even by reason of strength, 80. Yet their span is but toil and trouble. They are soon gone and we fly away. Who considers the power of your anger and your wrath according to the fear of you? So teach us to number our days that we may get a heart of wisdom. Return, O Lord, how long? Have pity on your servants. Satisfy us in the morning with your steadfast love that we may rejoice and be glad all our days. Make us glad for as many days as you have afflicted us and for as many years as we have seen evil, let your work be shown to your servants and your glorious power to their children. Let the favor of the Lord our God be upon us and establish the work of our hands upon us. Yes, establish the work of our hands. I love how concise and impactful the Latin language is and it's no surprise that many slogans have come out of Latin. Uh, many slogans have come directly out of 
the Latin language and even throughout church history, we have seen such slogans from the Latin language. There was a time where people would sign their letters with, uh, with, their, le with their letters DV, and, and that means Dio Volente. And the idea here was that um, people made their plans, but they said DV, Dio Volente means God willing. And we also know in church history that during a time where the Christian doctrine was under attack, theologians came together and summarized what would be key biblical teaching in five solas. And they said, we believe in sola scriptura, in sola fide, sola Christos, in sola gratia and solidio gloria, in a way of summarizing what is the key teaching of Christianity. And so we see how impactful this Latin language is. And we are in Psalm 90 this morning, and there's a Latin phrase that captures this grand theme of this psalm, and it is called uh, living subspecies attenitatis. And this means that we must live under the perspective of eternity, living under the perspective of eternity. And so I want us to study this psalm under these five headings. And so the title of my sermon is A Heart of Wisdom, Living in the Light of Eternity. A Heart of Wisdom, Living in the Light of Eternity. And want us to study this text under these five headings, we must recognize the majesty of God. We must remember the brevity of life. We must pray for humility and rest in God's sovereignty. And then we must pray for mercy, grace, and blessing on our work. The key petition of this psalm is found in verse 12. Verse 12 of Psalm 90 says, Teach us to number our days that we may get a heart of wisdom. And the psalm has been written by Moses. And Moses, we know he was a leader of Israel. He played such a big role, a pivotal role in leading Israel out of Egypt. And he writes the psalm at the end of his life, and he reflects of all the years that Israel spent in the wilderness. And as he looks back, he sees a generation that wasted their lives. He sees a generation that spent year after year by grumbling, complaining, turning to idols and rejecting the living God and not trusting in the living God. And you see that the burden that is in his heart is to speak to people to get a heart of wisdom. Moses has this one pressing petition, God teach us to number our days so we may get a heart of wisdom. And what we see in this psalm is that Moses does not begin by going into the petition itself. Moses begins by lifting, lifting us up to see the majesty, the grandeur, the, uh, the, the glory of God himself. He brings us up. He wants to lift us up to look to God. And then he lifts us down. He, he, he brings us low, as it were, to man's frailty. But this is not the note in which this psalm concludes. This psalm concludes with an optimistic and confident surrender and petition. And so here's the key message of this psalm, is that remember that there is a God and you are not that God. And therefore, 
pray that God gives you a heart of wisdom. And so let's consider our first heading. Recognize the grandeur of God. Recognize the majesty of God. A heart of wisdom recognizes the majesty of God. It recognizes the grandeur of God. Brothers and sisters, I'm calling you this morning to recognize the splendor of God, the magnificence of God. I want you to see the vastness of God. I want you to see the majesty of God, the godness of God. And this is where you must start if you want to have a heart of wisdom. This is where you must start if you want to live for eternity. Moses starts here. Look at verse 1 and verse 2. He says, Lord, you have been our dwelling place in all generations. Before the mountains were brought forth, and ever you had formed the earth and the world from everlasting to everlasting, you are God. See, the point here is that God is eternal. God is the uncreated creator. He's the original creator. God has always been and always will be. God is God and nothing can unguard him. See, he says here, before the mountains were brought forth, before you formed the earth and the world, from everlasting to everlasting, you are God. Or in other words, from everlasting to everlasting, you remain God. And what Moses is communicating here is that the godness of God does not depend on anything or on any circumstance or on anyone. The God was not voted in on the throne. See, what Moses is saying here is that God is eternal. That God has no beginning, he has no end, and he's in need of nothing. And that God depends on no one. That in fact, everything and everyone depends upon God. And that God can never be in any type of desperate situation. See, what Moses is saying here is, is, is saying, reflecting the words of Isaiah 40, verse 28, Have you not known, have you not heard? The Lord is an everlasting God, the creator of the ends of the earth. He does not grow, or he does not grow weary. He does not faint. His understanding is unsearchable. He gives power to the faint, and to him who has no might, he increases strength. You see, a heart of wisdom starts here. It recognizes the grandeur of God. And Moses, he, he, he says, he says, before the mountains were brought forth, before you formed the earth and the world, from everlasting to everlasting, you are God. From everlasting to everlasting, you remain God. Here's another word in Latin that captures, that captures this thought, aseity, aseity. See, this term simply means from himself. Aseity, to understand this term, you could ask questions. Where does God get everything that he needs from himself? Where does God get all power from himself? Where does God get all wisdom from himself? Where does God get all his perfections and joy? from himself. See, the key idea here, brethren, is that God is sufficient to himself. God is independent of anything outside of himself. God is the Lord of time. He exists above and apart from it, but free to enter it and accomplish his purposes. See, the idea here is that God is dependable because he depends upon no one. Look at verse 1 again. You have been our dwelling place in all generations. This is a recognition and acknowledgement that God is the source of all things. 
that God is the cause of all things and God is the sustainer of all things. And Moses, the leader of Israel, makes this proclamation and he says, together as a nation, together as the nation of Israel, you have been under the mercy of God. That from beginning, as the nation of Israel, we were under the mercy and under the hand of God. That every place that we have dwelt in as the people of God belonged to God. That every food that we had was provided by God. That every victory that we had was delivered by God. And everything that we have, even ourselves, belonged to God. Psalm 24 says, The earth is the Lord's and the fullness thereof, the world and those who dwell therein. For he has founded it upon the seas and established it upon the rivers. The heart of wisdom recognizes the majesty and the grandeur of God. The heart of wisdom realizes that God is eternal, that God is independent, and that God owns everything. In Psalm chapter 50, it tells us, Psalm 50, Psalm 50 verse 10, For every beast of the forest is mine, the cattle on a thousand hills. I know all the birds of the hills, and all that moves in the field is mine. What are your thoughts of God? Do you have a big vision of God? In what ways do you need to change the way that you think about God this year? In what ways can you make a commitment to learn more about the majesty of God, the grandeur of God? A heart of wisdom recognizes the majesty of God. A heart of wisdom also remembers the brevity of life. A heart of wisdom remembers the brevity of life and we are looking at our second point now remember that life is short and uncertain look at verse 3 you return man to dust and say return O children of man verse 4 for a thousand years in your sight are but as yesterday when it is past or as a watch in the night you sweep them away as with a flood, they are like a dream, like grass that is renewed in the morning. In the morning it flourishes and is renewed, in the evening it fades and withers. See, brothers and sisters, we need to recognize, we need to realize that our lives are in the hands of God. The span of our lives are in the sovereign hands of God. We need to come to terms that it is God who determines all our days. We need to remember how brief life is. We need to remember that we will die. Look at the following verses. Verse 3, you return men to dust and say, return, O children of men. Look at verse 5, you sweep them away as with a flood. They are like a dream, like grass that is renewed in the morning. Verse 7, for we are brought to an end by your anger, by your wrath we are dismayed. Look at verse 9, for all our days pass away under your wrath. We bring our years to an end like a sigh. Look at 10. The years of our life are 70, or even by reason of strength, 80. Yet their span is but toil and trouble. They are soon gone, and we fly away. What Moses does here is he makes a contrast between man and God. And his message, in short, is this. There is a God, and you are not that God. And remember that there is a God, and you are not 
the God. You see, we are instructed here about the sovereignty of God. These verses tell us that God has total control. That God has the power of life and death. That God is totally sovereign. That God has this unimpeachable jurisdiction over everything and everyone. In Daniel chapter 4, verse 35, it says, All the inhabitants of the earth are accounted as nothing. And he does according to his will among the host of heaven and among the inhabitants of the earth. And listen to this. And none can stay his hand or say to him, what have you done? And this is the description of the sovereignty of God. God is in the heavens and he does all that he pleases. Psalm 115. Remember the brevity of life. Look at these pictures here that remind us of how death is so near to us. Look at verse 5. It compares us to a dream and grass. It says, you sweep them away as with a flood. And they, meaning you and I, they are like a dream. They are like grass that is renewed in the morning. Look at verse 9. It compares our lives to a sigh. It says, for all our days pass away under your wrath. We bring our years to an end like a sigh. You know, verse uh, James 4 tells us that our lives are like a mist. James 4 verse 13, it says, Come now, you who say today or tomorrow will go to such and such a place and spend a year there and trade and make profit. Yet you do not know what tomorrow will bring. What is your life? For you are a mist that appears for a light, a little time, and then vanishes. Here's a heart of wisdom. Instead, you ought to say, if the Lord wills, we will live and do this or that. Brothers and sisters, remember the brevity of life. Remember that God does not owe you a long life. Remember that God does not owe you tomorrow. And living for eternity is realizing that God can take your life right now. That God is not indebted to any man. And, and God uh, would not care what your gifts are, what your talents are, what your accomplishments are. That if God wants to call you, he'll call you and he'll call you home. Remember the brevity of life and may this spare you to live a life of eternity. Now, what I want to ask this morning is how can you live at peace with the fact that God can demand your life at any moment? The first thing is be reconciled with God. Are you reconciled with God? Here's the message of salvation this morning. Romans chapter 10 verse 9. If you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. Mark chapter 2 verse 17. I came not to call the righteous but sinners. See, the criteria here for being accepted by Jesus is to come to him with your sin and say, I do not deserve salvation. Have mercy on me, a sinner. And this is the prayer that was prayed by the text collector in Luke 19. It said, have mercy on me, a sinner. How can you live at peace with the fact that God can demand your life at any moment? Are you reconciled with God? Are you reconciled with God when the Bible describes your life as a dream? When your Bible, when the Bible describes your life as a mist? When the Bible describes your life as grass? The meaning here is that at any moment God can demand our lives from us. 
And what confidence do you have to face the living God, to face the eternal God, the omnipotent God, to face the infinite God, the, the omniscient God? What confidence do you have to face him without a mediator? Living for eternity is realizing that your life may be demanded from you at any moment and you need to be reconciled with God. First and foremost, be reconciled with God. Be reconciled with others. Be the first one to move towards others with love. Pursue peace with others. Set an example of forgiveness and patience. Redeem the time. In what ways are you going to pursue a life of godliness this year? What is it that consumes your time? Have you identified things in your life that are time wasters? What are your priorities? What is your commitment to godliness? How is your prayer life, your Bible study, your involvement in the church? What contribution can you make in your family this year to move it forward? in godliness do you long for what is eternal do you meditate upon the glories of heaven Hebrews chapter 13 tells us that for here we have no lasting city but we seek the city that is to come a city that has foundations whose designer and builder is God do you long for what is eternal do you anticipate the glories of heaven Isaac Watts wrote a theme, wrote a hymn that captures this truth. He says, brief life is here our portion, brief sorrow, short-lived care, the life that knows no ending, the, tear, the tearless life is there. Oh, happy retribution, short toil, eternal rest for mortals and for sinners, a mansion with the blessed. He says there, grief is turned to pleasure, such pleasure as below, no human voice can utter, no human heart can know. And now we fight the battle, but then we shall wear the crown of full and everlasting and passionless renown. Do you long for what is eternal? Do you long for heaven? Do you long for heaven where we will be constantly amazed with God, where we will be more in love with God? Do you long for heaven where we will enjoy the presence of God and experience God? You long for heaven where our experience with God will reach, will not reach its consummation? Do you long for heaven where we will never finally arrive, where our joy will deepen, where our joy in God will intensify and amplify and unfold and increase, where our rejoicing in God will sharpen and mature, where our joy in God will advance and proliferate and accumulate and accelerate and multiply? Do you long for an eternity in the presence and glory of God? This is what it looks like to live for eternity. Do you long for what is eternal? And Moses looks at a generation that has wasted their lives by grumbling against God. And he says, look up, look at the glories of God and look down and look at how vain you are. Look at how transient you are and look at how your life might be demanded by God at any moment. And this brings us to our third consideration. How do we live in light of eternity? Pray. For humility 
We come here to the core of this psalm. Look at verse 12. Verse 12, it says, So teach us to number our days that we may get a heart of wisdom. You see, a heart of wisdom is a humble heart. This is the key theme of this psalm. To understand this psalm is to understand that this is a prayer for wisdom. This is a prayer for humility. We must never be satisfied with our need for humility. A Christian must constantly pray for a humble heart. And listen to how Moses phrases this request. He says, teach us. See, these are the words of humility. These are the words of dependence. These are the words of submission. Charles Spurgeon uh, says this way. He says, he who has himself for a teacher has a fool for a master. Do you pray that God would teach you? Do you pray that you'd learn from other believers? Or do you think that you have arrived? Moses says, teach us. He begins these words, these words of humility, these words of submission, these words of dependence. The cry of Moses here is for God to teach him. He says, God, teach me to be wise. So teach us to number our days that we may gain a heart of wisdom. And look at how this verse begins with the purple straws. It says, so. So what Moses is communicating here is that based on what I know about you so far, God, based on what I have confessed from verse 1 to 11, teach me. He says, Moses is saying here, God, you are eternal, but I am limited. Therefore, teach me. He's saying, God, you are independent, but I am dependent. Therefore, teach me. You see, Moses here, he's confessing. He says, God, you are never in need, but I am in constant need. Therefore, teach me. He says, God, I don't know everything, but you are omniscient. Therefore, teach me. He says, God, I am limited, but you are unlimited. Therefore, teach me. He says, God, I am not in control, but you are sovereign, therefore teach me. You see, he says, God, I don't know when you would demand my life, but as I live every single day, teach me. Teach me to depend upon you. Teach me humility. Brothers and sisters, a heart of wisdom is a humble heart. A heart of wisdom is a dependent heart. And a heart of wisdom is a heart that requires God. To teach you. And fourth, rest in God's sovereignty. Rest in God's sovereignty. Look at verse 12. So teach us to number our days that we may gain, we may get a heart of wisdom. The book of Numbers. Chapter 20 is the context for this psalm. In Numbers chapter 20, it captures moments of grief, moments of pain, moments of loss in the life of Moses. At this point, Moses had to bury an entire generation of Israelites who were punished due to their grumbling. When God punished them and God said they would not enter Canaan, they would not enter rest. And so the entire generation that came out of Egypt, Moses had to bury their entire generation. And then Moses, we learned that he lost his sister, his dear sister Miriam, 
Then he lost his brother, Aaron. And in addition to this, Moses had to deal with the consequences of his own sin, which prevented him from entering the promised land. And here is a man who came out of royalty in Egypt. Here is a man who made sacrifices and was the leader of God's people. And he had been in the wilderness with God's people. And finally, at the end, because of his own sin, the very thing that he committed his entire life for, he cannot achieve it. Moses is aware that he's at the end of his life. And as he looks back, he writes this psalm. And he begins with these words, Lord, you have been our dwelling place in all generations. Before the mountains were brought forth, or ever you had formed the earth and the world from everlasting to everlasting, you are God. And then he writes these words in verse 12, so teach us to number our days that we may get a heart of wisdom. Now, with that context, of sorrow, that context of disappointment, of pain. Moses is resolved to still live for God and to do that fully, to do that wisely and joyfully, even in the midst of failure and grief. Moses still approaches God, even in that disappointing circumstance that he's in. He says, and he appeals to God, he says, teach us to number our days that we may get a heart of wisdom. You see, these are not words of despondency. Moses is not resentful towards God. He's not bitter towards God. See, he's neither hostile nor angry, but he expresses his dependence upon a sovereign God. He's resting in the sovereignty of God. He rests in the fact that God is in charge. And whatever disappointments, pains, and failures that he faced, he turns right back to God and he expresses his dependence upon God. A heart of wisdom rests in God's sovereignty. Do not obsess on past failures. See, this is the lesson that Moses is teaching us. Don't dwell on past disappointments. Move beyond past failures and rest in the sovereignty of God. Are you so committed to personal goals in such a way that if things don't work out for you, you'll resent God? Or are you one who speaks like, uh, like other people who challenge the character of God and say, God, if you don't do this for me, forget about me following you. Are you willing to do everything to achieve something, even to the point of sinning. Make God your goal, not things. Do your best, but rest in God's sovereignty. A heart of wisdom petitions God for humility and also rests in God's sovereignty. A heart of wisdom also petitions God for mercy and grace. And this brings us to our final consideration here. A heart of wisdom petitions God for mercy for grace, for blessing on our work. Look at verse 13 to 17. Return, O Lord, how long? Have pity on your servants. Satisfy us in the morning with your steadfast love, that we may rejoice and be glad all our days. Make us glad for as many days as you have afflicted us, and for as many years as we have seen evil. Let your work be shown to your servants and your glorious power to their children. 
Let the favor of the Lord our God be upon us and establish the work of our hands. Yes, establish the work of our hands. And Moses' prayer here, in short, is that God, life can be hard. Please give us relief. See, brothers and sisters, trials are hard, they're painful, and they must be accepted. But trials are still trials. They're still hard, and they're still painful. And God has ordained that we plead with Him, that we appeal with Him, and that we petition Him for relief. See, it is not sin, it is not a sin to ask for relief, to ask for rescue and for God's intervention during difficult circumstances. I find that uh, we have emphasized the sovereignty of God so much that we have forgotten that this is in the Bible. The call for God's children to appeal before a merciful God for relief. God has ordained it that we appeal with him, that we plead with him. You see, look at, look at uh, verse 7 and 8. It shows us what we deserve. It says, we are brought to an end by your anger, by your wrath, you are dismayed. You set our iniquities before you, and our secret sins are before you. But Moses sets an example for us to petition God for grace. Look at verse 13b. Have pity on your servants. Look at verse 14. Satisfy us in the morning with your steadfast love, that we may rejoice and be glad all our days. Look at verse 17. Let the favor of the Lord our God be upon us, and establish the work of our hands upon us. And you see, we see an example here from the scriptures that we need to appeal to God for mercy and for grace. We need to appeal to God for relief. We need to appeal to God when we are facing trials and when we are facing difficult circumstances. And then we also see an example here that we must pray for God's blessing on our work. We must entrust our plans to God and yet keep eternity in mind. Colossians 3, verse 23, it speaks about the Christian at work. It says, whatever you do, work heartily as for the Lord and not for men, knowing that from the Lord you'll receive inheritance as your reward. You are serving the Lord Christ. And so there's, there's, there's a perspective that most people have that uh, doing the Lord's work is standing on a pulpit like this. But I want you to realize that whatever you do, as you work heartily for the Lord, you must know that from the Lord you'll receive your inheritance and you are serving the Lord even where God has placed you, even if it's not on the pulpit. And my appeal to you is don't waste your life. Make your life count. Live your life in light of eternity. One missionary said this, attempt great things for God and expect great things from God. In Proverbs chapter 3, trust in the Lord with all your heart. Do not lean on your own understanding. In all your ways acknowledge him and he will make straight your path. Be not wise in your own eyes. Fear the Lord and turn away from evil. Do you live for what is eternal? I want us to think about a couple of questions as we come to an end. What is the single biggest time waster in your life? And what will you do about it this year? What can you do to manage your time well? What spiritual disciplines do you want to adopt this year? What commitment can you make to grow in godliness 
this year? What areas can you serve the church in? What changes can you make in your life and in your family to encourage godliness? What single thing that you plan to do this year will matter most in 10 years and in eternity? Live in light of eternity. Hebrews 11, it says, By faith, Moses, when he was grown up, he refused to be called the son of Pharaoh's daughter, choosing rather to be mistreated with the people of God than to enjoy the fleeting pleasures of sin. Verse 26, he considered the reproach of Christ greater wealth than the treasures of Egypt, for he was looking forward to the, re to the reward. Live in light of eternity. Amen.